It's movie time, and we're back again with movie time. Hey, everybody, how you doing? Happy Friday, movie time, and we are uh, back again, and we have my co-host, Arpo. Hey, Arpo, how you doing? I am doing good. Friday's always a good night, because Friday means Saturday's coming. Woo! Woo! And so, uh, for all of you who are missing out to our other co-host, Olaf, he will be back with us again next week. And as I mentioned, he's just feeling a wee bit under the weather. Uh, so I'm so, so sorry, uh, one and all, and hope that Olaf uh, recovers and recovers off his voice and everything so he can join us. Yes. We spoke to him earlier. He can almost talk again. Yes. Just about that much more, and he'll be able to be talking again. It's, it's really not something you want to mess with anyway. You know, Even if you're feeling a whole lot better, if you're still just a little bit under... You know, you got to take it easy. Look what happened with me and my cold. Exactly. You had an entire weekend to uh, to kick it off, and it went really, really well. Yeah. So uh, tonight, also, we are going to uh, have a awesome show for uh, for all of you guys because we have two very, very fascinating topics that we are discussing tonight. It's topic number one. On there, it's like uh, basically what's happening with that is we are going to be uh, talking about is dealing with marketing and target marketing because you know what a lot of us don't realize what the target market of what's uh, going on in the uh, in the industry with this. It's like we uh, we tend to have one of those we really really uh, like the idea of target marketing, but you know what? A lot of people don't realize that uh, it's like target marketing. It's enjoy. Uh, it's like you really need to have it, and you need to know who your audience is when you are building a film. Yeah. You know, it's like you really need to know who your target is when you are doing it. So, when do you think that we need to start our target market? Uh, a real good time to start your target start your market targeting is when you're writing the movie. Yes. That's an excellent time. Now, why do you think that uh, we should know our target market when we're writing the film? Why shouldn't it just be, oh, just anybody? Because you can do things to key into your market and then find ways to expand that market. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, let's say you're writing a movie about, okay, about spies. About, yes. About, a, about spies. And mm -hmm. then, you know, okay, everybody likes a good spy flick. But now you have just an ordinary person who gets involved with the spy mm -hmm. and you know there's a romance whether the spy's a woman and the regular person's a guy or vice versa you get a romance going now all of a sudden you're developing a secondary market yes now you add to that that the spy drives a 1966 Thunderbird. Mm-hmm. You're tying into a, a third market now of people who are into classic cars and what they can do. 
Yes. And the more you can expand your market, the more people are going to want to see your film. And that's why you do it when you're writing. Absolutely. Another thing is, is if it's a certain target market that you're writing for, it also affects your writing style as well. It's like it, so. For example, that if you're writing to a teen market, that your that your market was a teenager market, the thirteen to the thirteen to nineteen year old crowd. So um, you would be writing in the dialogue that they would be understanding of today's market or possibly future market. As opposed to uh, going through the courses of writing as an adult, you have to get into the mind of a teenager and what they use as their modern terms uh, now because it's like for each generation we've had different words. It's like, uh, you know, 60s, a lot of people said groovy. 70s, yeah. cool, uh, you know, cool. 80s, rad. Hi, rad. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like 90, you know, 90s, it was like, bodacious, outrageous, you know, things like that. Um, different uh, different years, different uh, things of how they express. And so you would want to be able to get that research and be able to write to that audience using the dialogue yeah. that they are, because especially if they are the target market. If your secondary market is their parents, for example, you're going to write a combination of the dialogue so that you hit the teen market and also hit their parents as well with impactful yeah. story. And this is whether you're writing film, writing television. It's like it's why the, there are shows. And also, if you're having a demographic that you are looking at, another time that you also want to look at your target market is in terms of your marketing plan. Because you should be thinking as soon as you've written, how in the heck is this is going to get out there to the audience? Because uh, as several guests of ours have talked about, um, on social media sites, they're targeted to different people and different age ranges yeah. and stuff. You're not going to target your teen market. I'm sorry. It's like you're not going to target them on Facebook necessarily. No. They're not all about Facebook. A lot of them are on Twitter. A lot of them are on Instagram, things like that. It's like, you know, they go from fad to fad to fad. A Reddit, uh, you know, it's like some, a lot of them are now Snapchatting. Yeah. So... It's like you're going to Snapchat uh, with them or whatever the next fad is for them. Um, for a while, Vine videos were very popular with teens. So it's like you're going to target them on Vine. Yeah. And stuff to be able to get your to get your speed up or on YouTubes and stuff like that. So, again, if that was your target market, if you're talking towards a female demographic, it's like, again, you're talking to a different market. You're going to probably talk in uh, with the LinkedIn's, the uh, the Bizipedia's, as well as also the uh, markets of like the Facebook. You're going to talk on Pinterest, things like Instagram. Again, you know, it's like targeting in that market. If you're looking towards a male-oriented market, you're going to look at things like, uh, for example, LinkedIn. Again, you're going to look at Facebook, but you're not going to look so much at things like Pinterest, more along things of like Reddit. Yeah. And things like that. It's like in terms of our uh, markets, or you're going to look at it things like more male-oriented market in terms of sites that target the, that towards getting your advertising out there and yeah. the product. It's like a lot of people don't realize um, when you are talking about target markets, 
you have to think primary and secondary. Now, why do you think that we have to have primary, secondary, tertiary markets into our marketing plan? Well, because you can't rely on just one market to carry the enormous expense of making a film. As we've discussed many times in the past, you have to make back seven times what you spent yes. to break even. And you can't do that with a single market. It's it's just not possible. Maybe maybe uh, these comic book superheroes can do it just with the comic book market, but that would be the only exception. Yep. Quite frankly, I think they're a bit more uh, market minded than that. They don't rely on on just the comic book geeks like me. Yeah, and as Franco Sam also listed the other day, for example. It's like just because necessarily it is a target market does not necessarily mean that you don't have to also, again, mar uh, have the movies detailed towards them. Another reason for a target market is also in terms of what exactly it is that you want to have the people get out of the story. And a lot of people don't understand in terms of what your end goal is. You may have a great plot line. Put together, but if you're not hitting who exactly it is that you want to impact for the moral of the story, or who it is that you want to create the change for, then, or if it is too heavy-handed, the story, it's like it may turn off your target market. So you've got to look at it from the point of view of, are you actually being effective towards them as well? And think of creative ways of doing that. Um, another thing is that it's like in terms of product placement companies, they also target market their audiences too. If you are having a teen oriented movie, you're obviously not going to wind up with a beer fest. Yeah. For, uh, for your goal and target. Unless the idea is that the teenager has been over drinking and this is what, uh, what you're learning your lesson. Yeah, but for the most part in, in teen comedies, I mean, and I have noticed this, you don't see beer labels in a no. teen comedy, even if they're drinking beer. No. It's like, you know, they don't have the Budweiser dog anywhere near them or anything like that. Yeah. Sorry, Spuds McKenzie, you don't belong in the teen world. Yeah. But... That is neither here nor there. It's like, or cigarette companies, or where it's like specifically in terms of your markets, it's like it depends for each one of where you are at with it. Yeah. So, yes, a target market is a very important thing to, uh, to keep in mind when you are looking at your audience. And uh, so it's like... The reason why also for a target market is because it also, did you know that it affects your location? Did you, of, of, you mean you know, in yeah. terms of where of where you're going to be showing the film? Yeah, you're, where you're going to be showing it and where you're actually going to be shooting it. This is uh, news to me. Yes, um, because it also affects your locations because if, for example, you're trying to go to some place, it's like yeah, that you're trying to attract 
teenagers, you're not going to have them go into a sophisticated cafe. You're going to want to have the sets be trendy, the locations be trendy looking of places that teens would hang out in. Yeah. If you're going towards a female market, you're uh, it's like, no, and this is not a sexist comment because being a female, I know, you probably wouldn't hang your show at a Home Depot. No. You know, it's like, or having, or having it at like a huge sports pub, unless that was the target of a movie. Yeah. And, uh, if you're say trying to reach a children's market. Yes. Now the, you're into a whole new. <laughs> Realm of Wonderland, let's yes. put it. Uh, at, at, at family uh, areas, uh, homes, more a little more suburban setting with playgrounds and safe, you know, safe areas. Yes. And so, therefore, it's like when when you're looking at it, it's like you've got to really look at it from the point of view of can you have the person do what they need to do? And also, it's like with children, you have to also then be making sure that the thing that the people around them are having that same sort of thing. For them, it's like that, you know, when you're looking at the audience, that, the, that there's nobody around that are making lewd gestures around a children's movie. Like, look at Kindergarten Cop. If you really look at the movie itself, um, the adults that are in the background are not really doing anything that isn't childlike oriented. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, we have a request. Yes. From... A common friend asking us to add him, please. And we no, have. no, folks, don't get excited. It's not Olaf. I, I know, poor Olaf. It's like is not feeling really good. It's like it just one, and he will be joining us shortly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and he will be joining us shortly. And yes, it's like Olaf will be back next week. So the whole idea of the uh, of this, of what I'm trying to make mention of, is target audience is very important, and target marketing because you want to be able to market also towards the person who you are there. Joining us tonight also is our co-host, uh, um, known from the spotlight, is Kinte. Hey, Kinte, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you people doing? We are doing wonderfully. We are talking about target markets in terms of films and why it's important to have a target market during the writing process as well as during the filmmaking process mm -hmm. in terms of yeah. your marketing campaign. Yes, yes, yes. Very important. Actually, when you, when you do your tap dance to try to get money to do whatever project it is, one of the first things they want to ask you is, who are you targeting this to? Who's gonna go see this movie? Who's gonna, you know, uh, who's your target audience? And most of us, in our mind, we think we want everybody to watch our movie. We want the whole world, the whole globe. They're like, no, no, no. Focus on a certain group, and then if more out of that does it, then that's groovy. But yeah, I, yeah, 
Yeah, we were, we've been discussing the importance of having a primary, secondary, and even tertiary market group that you can that you can market to. But you want to have that primary, and you want it to be a good one because that's what's that's what the investors want to know. That's where the bulk of your ticket sales are going to come from. You know what's funny is, especially on the independent game, mm -hmm. we think that if we just get the movie done, if we just get it in the can, we just, you know, we finish it, we edit it and all of that good stuff, that that's that's all we need to do. But we don't think like, you know what, you got to market it, you got to put it out there, you got to, you know, you got to have a full game plan of what you're going to do with the, the, uh, the, the project. Absolutely. Yeah. Promotion is a very huge key towards this market as well, because when you are looking at a target market, you also have to put the campaign forward to it. So not only, for example, like a lot of teams don't look at it, it's like in terms of posters, there is a, a part of that as well, but also how you market it on television. Where is its spot going to be? If it's a TV series, whether it's a movie, a TV series, a web series, whether it is a Netflix, a no matter what the medium is, for you, it's like you must have a target market in terms of, of uh, that and must understand how to captivate them. So then also all the prime spots that they would be located. For example, yes. uh, adults would not pr uh, pretty much you could be pretty safe of thinking that a lot of adults, if you were looking at the 35 and over market, are not looking at MTV any longer. No. Right. Because that's not uh, that's not their goal. That is not where their goal lies for them. Because MTV is generally a still working in the real world. Twenty uh, from thirteen to twenty is their is their ideal market. Concept. A lot of thirty somethings would probably still be watching it. Absolutely. I especially if they still had the Friday night videos. That would have been great. You know yeah. what's that magic number? Is it is it eighteen to thirty nine or something? Right. Uh, 18 to 35 is usually the audience, correct? Ain't that, uh, ain't that nothing? I, I'm, I'm, a, am I officially old? Cause I'm out of that group now. Like no one, they don't even care about me no more. Actually, no, because now, uh, now they're actually starting to target between 25 to 40, being the market because they realize, okay, this year. Um, actually, they they are uh, targeting towards uh, a lot of projects that have come out this year. Look at Manchester by the Sea. Look at Moonlight. That they were not targeted to an eighteen to thirty-five audience. Those are two movies I wouldn't watch with a gun to my head. <laughs> That's funny. But, but, yeah. but you know who's a master though at that at, at the target audience marketing? Jason Blum from Blumhouse. Mm -hmm. That is the master, man. He knows how to market his material and get it get it to the eyes and of in the ears of the people that are gonna go see it. That guy's a master. Uh, my hat's off to him. Yeah, and it's like so when he does his marketing, it's like I'm sure that he goes through many, many hours of research. And this is also where we say that your distributor also helps, but as well as also, as I said, first and foremost, you have to know who the movie is going to. Because it brings us also towards our second subject tonight. And it's actually our uh, our very deepest subject on, uh, on this matter, is does it sell? And now when, you, when we're talking about that, you can have the ideal target market, you can have the ideal cast, 
but does the film actually sell it or the project actually make it to TV? Um, given several examples of this that you would think that, oh my God, this would have been box office gold and you're going, oh my God, this is so not box office gold. The movie right now that came out with Amy Schumer and uh, Goldie Hawn, which we had talked about with Frank Osama, right, uh, Arpo? Yeah. Yeah, Snatched. Snatched. Originally, it's like that should have been by all means a blockbuster hit. Perfect casting, great budget, easy to go by. It hasn't even made back its box office yet. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's, it's crazy. It had a bad opening weekend. And, and it, to me, it's, it's just crazy. I mean, you've got one of the most respected queens of comedy in Goldie Hawn. You have really one of the crown princes of, of female comedy in Amy Schumer. It's like, mm -hmm. what went wrong? Amy Schumer, let's just be honest, Amy Schumer, ever since Trainwreck, she's been on a downward slope because of the joke stealing and all of the bad press. So, you know, and that's how the business is. One minute they love you and the next minute they don't love you anymore. Well, but also Goldie Hawn is played internationally though. And it's like people have to this day still love her as an actress and as a, human, as a humanitarian. And yet at the same time, because of the combination of it, what should have been a perfect movie, another movie, The Wall with the Matt Damon. The By great all means, the great yeah. wall. All, all all means and stretch of the imagination with the great wall should have equaled out to a movie that was golden in terms of that which tanked. Box Here you have Wars. one of the most bankable stars in Hollywood. Yes. In an action movie that is one of his better genres. A movie with tremendous special effects. Yep. And nobody wanted to see it. Because, in my opinion, having seen it, the story really was that bad. Yeah. All and the rest of the movie, yeah. Even with the bad story, it still should have it still should have made back at least half, and I don't think it did that. No. And that's the whole thing. And the third example would be Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. A movie, but uh, by all stretches, the storyline, great, uh, interesting storyline. Is it a fantastic? No, it was a good storyline, a very compelling one. Robert Downey Jr., Val Kilmer, Michelle, Michelle Monaghan in this movie. Corbin Burnson. Corbin Burnson, a, a fantastic combination of actors and never made back its box office. Yeah, you know, you know, they always, you know, how they always say that the opening weekend is the most important weekend for a movie because that's where it's going to be determined if this movie is a success or a flop. So you got a fifteen million dollar movie. It was budgeted at ten. It ran five million dollars over budget. Opening weekend. What do you think? What do you think, Kente? Opening weekend. Um, twelve million, hundred and eighty thousand six hundred and sixty dollars. Yes. Ouch. 
and by all means, it should have it should have been a blockbuster weekend. Because I'm sorry, Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man in this movie, Val Kilmer, one of the Batmans, not the best Batman, Michael Keaton is, um, but one of the uh, one of the uh, the Batmans, and also amazing in Willow. Though he was, he was incredible in Willow. And so you have and, those and two and actors. Both of them, this movie's genre was right up their alley. Yeah. It was action comedy. Right in their sweet spot. Yeah. Something that both of them excel at. And you had Shane Black uh, directing the, the film. So you had the trifecta of things. And yet at the same time, the movie tanked like a lead balloon. So what we're talking about is, does it, does it necessarily mean that just because you had the combination, does the movie sell? And also, can you do detriment to your own market as well? Because this brings us to a very interesting other story that has happened. Recently, on Huffington Post, that they had listed that they were doing a premiere of Wonder Woman, where they wanted a female-only audience for Wonder Woman for this premiere at the Alamo Theater in Texas. And this brought a huge uproar. Of, from their male audience of why is it that there is a woman's only night for the premiere of this movie when asked about this they talked about this it's like it the reason why that they are doing this is not because of trying to exclude men on this particular thing it was about talking about this is the first female character in a long time that is an empowerful character and it is an empowering one so they wanted women to be able to celebrate the girl empowerment of doing that through a showing that was just for women. Can you tell me what uh, what would be wrong with that? Well, first of all, it's not true that this is the first female empowering movie. I mean, we've, we just had Ghost in the Shell, <coughs> Lucy, we had, I mean, I can go, like, it's like movie after movie after movie in TV show, Jessica Jones, but what are they, what are they talking about? Nope. There's never been a Wonder Woman. There's, and oh, she is the oh. very first female, in terms of that, for powerful character that did not have to rely on a man or a sidekick to uh, it, to get her through. Lucy didn't, or none of the. Uh, I don't. There's like a ton of movies like that in TV shows, and there's, yep. there's uh, there was Alias. There was uh, Femme Nikita. There was. You know, and even okay, and with Alias, Zena War okay. Princess, and uh, Zena had uh, her uh, Zena had her uh, sidekicks. Um, in terms of the with the Alias, she had Michael. She yeah, it's like Alias uh, and her father and her father. And minute, she had wait, a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They Alias, she was kicking ass on her own. She had so, Michael though, but what I'm saying is that with Wonder Woman. She is completely a, a a person all of her own, and yes, I'm not saying that there is Chris Pine in the movie. Chris yes. Pine is about as essential as Michael was in Alias. And and again, when you're looking at it, though, we're looking at Wonder Woman being the first. It's like in the '70s, every girl wanted to be Wonder Woman. Hate to tell you this, it's like we all wanted to be Diana. And uh, we all wanted to have that whole Wonder Woman thing. It's like and that whole empowerment. So having a movie that actually portrays her that for the very first time at live action they it's like it is extremely empowering and it's a it is a girl power movie it's like she does not have a sidekick she does not have a helper as a matter of fact she helps out the other uh, people in the movie 
That's not true. In regards to it. Chris Pine is the, is it in the movie? Did you not see the trailer? Chris Pine is the guy. And then they got this movie called Atomic Blonde. It's the same thing. That, that's oh, yeah, Chris Pine. Yeah, he's he's the guy mm -hmm. she has to keep rescuing. Exactly. He's the guy you, that she has to keep rescuing. He's not doing the rest. He's not her sidekick. He's the one who keeps having to be rescued. No, that's what a sidekick is. Someone that just needs to be. No. Sidekick, no. Uh, no, dear. Sidekick is like, for example, with with Sydney and Alias, she and her Michael there who is, uh, who is able to be back there kicking ass with her. She did, he did not kick ass like Elliot. No, she was the the quote unquote dog of that show. Michael was more of a was not even on her level, not even close. Not on her level, but yet at the same time, he was her sidekick, just like yeah, any. I, I, I think yes, she, just like she, Birds she, of Prey. All three of the it took three women in terms of Birds of Prey, and it, the show didn't last very long because they thought it too female slanted. In terms of that, and 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 don't and don't forget, uh, I forget the character's name, but Carl Denby, the, yes. the black actor on Alias. Yes. Wait, wait, but I don't. I he think, was constantly at her side. Uh, yeah, he was. And her, her the brother was her sidekick. Yep. <laughs> she was in power, but I don't. But that's like saying LeBron James needs to win a championship and have no zero help at all. That's silly. Well, in terms of Wonder Woman, she doesn't require having uh, the rest of the women uh, to be able to be there. She's her own superhero. She's not, she's not dependent upon a sidekick of any sort or any sort of – so this is why, in terms of that, they wanted to celebrate it in terms of a girl empowerment film. Mm. And just for one, for one premiere – well, this got everybody up in arms on Huffington Post, and it's like these guys going, it's like, well, this is discrimination. Why is this happening? Let alone that at the same time, there has been negative press because it's like countries like Lebanon who don't want to do this because Gal Gadot is Israeli. It's like, oh, my God, an Israeli actress play, plays Wonder Woman? It's like, oh, my goodness. Wait a minute. Wonder Woman yeah. Jewish? I know, right? I thought, she like, I thought she was from the Amazon or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> the actress is Jewish. Yes. I Woman shouldn't be Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, Bernie Madoff is Jewish, right? Sure. But the yeah. guy in him is not Jewish, is he? But so is Donald Trump, not Jewish. I think he's yeah. Jewish. But what's the point? The point being, though, that Gal Gadot, because she's Israeli and she served in the Israeli army, for whatever reason, Lebanon has decided and Iran has, and a couple of other countries have decided, never mind, it's like they didn't want to use the idea that she's wearing a skimpy bathing suit as the excuse. It's the fact she's from Israel that we don't want to have a movie shown yeah. into Gal these Gal countries. Gal Gadot is star in any movie of mine. <laughs> <laughs> But but the, the the whole thing with the men being up in arms about you know them having a women's night for this movie silly you know um, it's like what's what's the big idea what's the big problem if this had been Magic Mike three and it was going they were going to have strictly women's night would one man have said anything about hey that's not being fair oh uh, and let me clarify my point. Yes, I think, I think it's completely asinine that these guys are crying about this. Who cares? Let them go. You know, like I, I, I mean, 
have they not heard of uh of uh country clubs and you know <laughs> and uh what's the place uh um augustus you know yes. where women and people of color can't even go to until what recently so yep. no i i mean i i have no problem at all women for me, I have three words for anybody who has any objections to an all women's night million man march. Well, that was different. How's that different? There's a, there's men celebrating their empowerment. No, that's not, that is not true. The million man march was about men being accountable for their for what they should have done. It was about men stepping up to the plate. It yes. wasn't about the exclusion of women. It was about men being stepping up and being better for their female counterparts exactly now, I, I, but i agree though i'm not against an all-women's night i think it's silly that guys would cry about people just want to cry about everything mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't have a problem with it but i wouldn't yeah. consider the, the million man march with with uh that because it's a completely different thing well what if a woman wanted to stand up for you know go to bat Eat. for for the same reasons as all those men why couldn't she march in it? Because yep. it was it, it's the same reason why I wouldn't march in a gay parade. I'm not gay. And this was about men. This is like men who, the whole point of it is men, it's, it was called the day of atonement for men to atone. So the whole point is for men to go. That's why I have no problem yes. with it. Atone, atone, atone for what? To atone for maybe things that weren't going right in their communities uh maybe things that we could do better as men because as you know that and, and, and you don't think women should have that kind of responsibility too no it was a day of atonement for men not for women no, no okay no. Now, the, now the reaction though that you're having right there is exactly the same reaction that they were having for women uh, going as a women's only event at the theater Yes, exactly. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was beating you, Kinte, but that's that was the reaction I was going for because no, that's how men are reacting to this. But I'm agreeing, though. Exactly. No, I, I, no, I know. No. Side with the the women should have their own night. Why not? Exactly. I have no problem with it. No. Kinte, it's just like a couple of weeks ago when I I, I agree like with I Kinte. On, uh, I I pretended like I was supporting piracy of movies just to make a point i i do support piracy um no you don't yes i do pirates of the caribbean is, i hear is a great movie series so i support there you go pirates of the caribbean yes you know i've never seen one of the i've only been on no. the right <laughs> you haven't missed much no trust me it's like you can you can do without and still be quite happy um, without you know what? The For the Pirates of the Caribbean, you only really need to see one scene. In the first movie, they have a sword fight inside a runaway water wheel rolling down a hill. And it's the most brilliantly choreographed scene. And if you see that one scene, you have seen the best of all of basically, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Basically, you've seen all five movies after that one scene. Can I make yeah. a can I make a quick plea? Yes. Let me pick your roles going forward, because dude, you keep doing the same role every time you do the same movie, same role. Let's very let's change it up. Let's change it up, Johnny. Yep. 
Johnny Depp has made very good decisions for his career. And Pirates of the Caribbean is one. And if they're, I mean, I mean, come on, kid, Day. you're you're Johnny Depp, mm -hmm. and they come to you and they say, "We want you to do another Pirates of the Caribbean." You're saying, oh, "I don't know. I think that's kind of run its course." And they say, "We want to pay you two hundred million dollars." Are you going to say no? No, I'm saying he should do Pirates of the Caribbean. I have because that's a money. That's a big money grab. I'm saying the other crap he does, he could vary it up in between the Pirates of the Caribbean. Like I'm not. Look, I was under the impression he did. No, he does not. He does the same crap over and over. I'm talking about the same awkward, weird characters that he. You know, it's like it's always. It seems like the same shit every time. But anyway, I'm sorry. That's, yeah. that's, no, that's okay. That's his target. Yes. Yeah. This, this is what what we are talking about. Also, is that mm -hmm. okay? For example, with Austin Land, they also had an all female uh, night where they had that when they were targeting. For that movie and yet at the same time for wonder woman it got the up in arms when austin land was uh, coming out and they had a female night in there not, not even a peep was ever said about it other than like hey good on them it, it's like and again one of the things though that it looks at is because of all of this publicity over this does that impact the box office because they clearly said at the Alamo Theater the intent was to celebrate an empowerment of women, and that's why that they did this particular er, way, the way that they did for the female uh, for the female only night. So, looking at it from a perspective of would that kill your marketing? It's the same way of of asking. It's like you said, for example, with Amy Schumer earlier. It's like that she's had a down. Uh, she's had bumps in her career currently because of being accused of stealing lines etc well no, it's like jokes it, she's been stealing jokes let's just be honest she's a world-class joke thief <laughs> that's why okay and hey, it, you know who else was milton burl he made a yeah. career of it uncle milty did yes okay does that make it all right for no it's it's not a matter of right or wrong but it's a matter of does it impact the movie was a huge yeah and unfortunately for her, because of the internet, people now will call you to the carpet more than back then, you know, because then they can show the, you know, what they're doing and all of that stuff. So she, she did it at the wrong time. Her and uh, Carlos Mencia, who's his career is gone because of that. And uh, Dan Cook as well, by the way, has been impacted by that. Well, and there are many, many in the industry. It's like, a, in terms of that, you know what they say? It's like, that will pay homage to other people by doing that in terms of ripping works and stuff like that or taking skits and stuff like that. But do you feel that that actually impacted the, the box office performance? Do you think that because of that negative backlash that it impacted the box office performance yes. of the movie that she was in? Yes. You know why? Because I, one thing I hate about the society we live in they love to put you on a pedestal because i i felt like she was put on a pedestal maybe she, you know she maybe she didn't deserve the pedestal that she was put on who knows but then it's like the same people that probably prematurely put her on the pedestal like took such great joy of kicking her out of the you know what i'm saying it's like the, mm -hmm. the clothes it's like and then it's, you know it's like one minute 
we love one thing and then the next minute we hate it. It's like it's so crazy to me, you know. Um, it's probably either probably either extreme is probably not fair. To be honest, yes. You know, the extreme of putting her up on high on that pedestal, and the extreme of kicking her off the pedestal and where she's at now. Because you know, you know, there's the Netflix thing deal with her. Mm-hmm. You know, which is a big thing, which is probably unfair. That that's probably unfair as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's this thing with. On the other on the other hand, though, let's look at this. The budget for the movie was forty two million dollars. The opening weekend was eighteen and a half million dollars. As of today, it has grossed forty two million dollars. So I don't think. Her reputation for stealing jokes has hurt the film that badly. And this is just the U.S. gross. Okay, we got a bad international. Yeah. Is it me? Yeah. One of the things that is, uh, therefore, very interesting to uh, when you're looking at it is you have to look at it then. It's like... Yes, negative publicity also happens in terms of that. One of the things that happened in terms of negative publicity uh, that happened with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, there was a negative interview that was done by the director at the time. And it's like it goes down in history as a very interesting interview. And I won't repeat it. You can look it up in terms of what they had said about the movement, what he had said at the time. It was uh, in terms of premieres and stuff, so it might have impacted the box office as well. What kinds of things do you think, because again, we're looking at it from the point of view of you have the trifecta of the things that happen. Um, By all means, I think another one that uh, was not hugely successful, if I remember correctly, was Ghostbusters really successful, the the female version? Um, I think it was like lukewarm, right? Yeah, hang on a second. I'm getting the figures. Yeah, he gets to deal with flies. I get to deal with ants. Oh, and uh, I want to bring up something too about all of this uh, after we talk about the Ghostbusters. Absolutely. Uh, Ghostbusters uh, did not make back their budget. Okay, there you go. It did not make back its box office in terms and did not make back its budget. So therefore that's another film that it's like, by all means, it's like, if you think about it, had an ultimate cast, Melissa McCarthy, which people love, you know, Leslie, uh, which people love, you know, Kristen Wiig, who's very, very popular, popular. you know, it's like, and so, those four, uh, the four main actresses, all four of them, very popular. Um, you know what? And this actually segues into what I wanted to bring up perfectly. Yep. Okay. Now you talked about Christine uh, Wig is in it. Kristen Les- Wig, yes. Leslie Jones, you yes. know, all the people, right? But let's just be truly honest. There's only a handful of people that really puts butts in seats. There's only a handful of people that put butts in seats. I'm talking about legit puts butts in seats. 
to make a movie a hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cruz is one of them. He even with all of his baggage, he, people will still come out to go see his movies. Um, uh, I'm we'll gambling see- on the Mummy being a flop. We'll see if I'm right. I mean, even still, though, he's been proven yep. to be that dude. Denzel Washington is that dude. Um, uh, Chris Pratt has become that dude for the most part. Uh, besides, you know, he did have a movie that didn't do well, but still, though, overall, he seems to be that guy. Uh, there's like a, there's only probably, there's probably only what about seven to ten real bankable stars that that you could pretty much almost book a hit for for their movie. Then you got people like you have people like you know like you said you're Kristen Wiig. There's people that will go, oh oh Kristen Wiig's in it. I kind of like her. But I don't think that she's uh necessarily a person that just because she's in it, it's gonna be a hit. You know what I mean? I don't you know what I mean like I think people have a favorable view of her, but I don't say I wouldn't say she's a big enough star. Like, cause you were saying, well, Val Kilmer was in the movie. People are not gonna run out just to see a Val Kilmer movie. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe back in the day they might have, but not now. So we're well, we're still well, that movie was two thousand five. Yes, <laughs> right. He was a very was hot that, property. Yes, he was two thousand five. What two thousand five was he though? What was yes? He? I'm trying to think. What was he? In 2005, he may not have been. Yes. When was his, when was his time? His time was not long. Like his Early. time being. Didn't it die with? Didn't it die with the Batman movie? No. What did he, he make after Batman? Willow. That was before that. What did he make after Batman? Where you can say, man, he brought butts into the seats. He did actually uh, do a couple of movies that he uh, was quite impactful. Where I believe he was the bad guy in them. I, I can't remember their. Uh, it's like I cannot remember its name, uh, the name right off the top of my head. But I visualized the movie, and again, like you know, like Tom Cruise, and we, we, I make jokes about him and all this mm-hmm. stuff, and you know, but he's like a draw, right? He is a draw. Um, I- Actually, he went through an ebb and flow. It's like, yes, he was a draw, then he wasn't a draw, and now he is a draw again. Everybody has their ups and downs, but he's a draw. Let's just be honest. He's a draw. Uh, Denzel. I mean, everybody has like a flop here and there. Like Will Smith for a long time had a string of hits. Even his yes, his so-called bomb, Wild West, what's, not, what's that? Uh, Wild Wild West. If you really look at the numbers, it really wasn't that big of a flop. It just didn't do what the other ones did. But it still made money. It but wasn't you know, after birth or whatever that freaking movie was. Uh, you know, that where it was that and then maybe one other movie where it started to shine, started coming off. And now he's had kind of some flops uh in a row. So like the love is kind of fading with Will. But um, but but there's only like a handful of bankable stars. So with what I mean, like that really gets butts into the seats and make movies a hit. There's people that if you put enough of them in there, then people people will go, oh, okay, oh, okay, uh, Samuel Jackson's in this, uh, so-and-so's in this, so-and-so's in this, okay, I'm gonna go see it. But there's only like a handful of people that really puts butts in the seats. So my question to you guys in marketing the film is, you're a filmmaker, 
Grayson, yes. right? Correct. If you have an, because this is a, there's this thing, and I'm gonna say this before I get to my question. There's mm -hmm. this thing that I freaking hate. I understand it, but I hate it. They cast people because they have big, they have big uh, social media followers. Correct. Like literally, I'll give you a role in my movie because you're gonna tweet it out to a hundred thousand followers, and they're gonna retweet it and all of that stuff. I understand it from a marketing standpoint, but from an artistic standpoint, it makes my stomach turn. You know, but mm -hmm. I understand the business, right? So it my. Is. So my question to you, Grayson, as a filmmaker, yes, you got an awesome script, correct? You want a lot of eyes to see it. You want it to be successful, correct? You have this opportunity to put a bankable star in it that may not be right for the role, mm -hmm. but you have a someone who's better for the the play that part, but mm -hmm. they're probably not going to bring the butts to the. How do you go as an artist? Well. What if there is, is there's a careful balance that you can do. Now, if you choose for your bankable star, then that would be the person that you're surrounding the picture around is that person who is the bankable name. Mm -hmm. And you hope and you hope that they do still have that draw at the time that the movie is coming out on impact and that they haven't lost that draw at that point in time. However, it's like what it, the wiser filmmaker does or what the, it has been done before is they've gone with the bankables. Sometimes what they've done also as being wise is they've said, you know what, I'm going to take the person who it's like is the lesser bank uh, in terms of popular person at that moment, but surround them by bankables, mm. names that will bring the butts to the seat. So in other words, what the, this time they usually introduce somebody who's an up and comer with right. like a, a, a Twitter following or a up and comer actor and stuff like that and surround them like that. Um, for years ago, Haley Seinfeld, uh, w when she did that movie, True Grit, she was uh, surrounded by several actors who were bankable at that very moment. And that's why that movie oh. made it a, a bunch of bank. But I was saying though that they were in the star part role though in the movie. I'm talking about you have the starring main yes. thing and you have an opportunity to get an actor who's bankable, yes. but they're not as good. L let's just say they don't really fit that part. I, 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 okay, part. I'm going to break it. I, I, I'm going to break in here for a second. Mm -hmm. You're saying Melissa McCarthy is not a bankable star. No, she's, she's bankable. I say she's bankable. Well, you uh, when we when we were talking about Ghostbusters, you were saying, "Oh, she's not enough to bring in an audience." I didn't mention her. I said Kristen Wiig. Yeah, Kristen. Uh, okay, and in regards to that, it's like I'll answer back that answer with the bankable star. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, it's like what you look at is you look at two uh, two things when you're looking at bankable talent. Are because one of the things of measurable of bankable is are they bankable at the moment or are they bankable towards the time that you are looking at or towards the future? Bankable at the moment, I, I doubt it. She'll be bankable. I think she's just a flash in the pan right now. I don't I don't see her as okay. being bankable in the future. Okay, now here's just where she's talented as hell, it, and I don't believe that that's necessarily a knock on you as a talent. That's just how the industry is. So I'm not saying she's not brilliant. Yes. You know, I'm just saying the industry is funny like that, especially, especially this is now this is where I say it's messed up towards women because women get that treatment worse. 
like women age out faster. You know, when a woman gets 28, she's like too old and you know, like she's a MILF, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> at 28, <laughs> you know. And, and then they'll have old ass uh, Sean Connery at 75, you know, with a 20 year old uh, co-star, <laughs> you know, yeah. as the female lead, you know, so. And it, yes, it is an unfair uh, thing that they do uh, with that. It's like in terms of box office and stuff like that, it's like they, they will put women into different kinds of roles. And we have talked about that before because it's also a very hard thing. It's like with certain actors, when they also get to a certain age of what do they do with it? When you have a Sean Connery, it's like because he's been so well ingrained into being an actionist type person from all of his years of film, you can't put him as the lovable old grandpa who, <laughs> you know, it's right. like when you're thinking bankability, you wouldn't get him to do the lovable old grandpa who's going to sit there with the grandson doting on his knee kind of movie. It's like they've always pictured him as the action star. Even in his later years now, he has still been the action yeah. star. Which is why... The for me, the third Indiana Jones movie, The Last Crusade, was the best of the three because yes. he kind Sean Connery played against type, he played the utterly non action hero. Mm -hmm. You, you, you know, you know my, my, my favorite scene in that movie is when, um they're trying to figure out which one's the Holy Grail. Mm -hmm. and, and then, you know, the guy drinks from the wrong grail and he like literally melts to death. And then the Templar is like, he chose wrong. I'm like, no shit, Sherlock. He chose poorly. <laughs> Actually, what he says is you chose, right. he chose poorly. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, wow. That's a wonderful insight. He melted to death. <laughs> yeah. I think that uh, we get it, that it, he chose poorly. Uh, uh, Mr. Templar man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I, I always thought that, uh, you know what, uh, in times in your life, if um, when you make like a wrong mistake, like you're in the club and you choose girl on the left instead of girl on the right and she shoots you down because her boyfriend comes from the back. So uh -huh. now you have no chance with girl on the right because you tried her friend first and the Templar man should come out and say, you've chose poorly. <laughs> <laughs> you chose poorly when you're sitting there melting, you know. So, but uh, I think I think that uh, that that movie was great for, like you said, for that reason, because he was playing his age. Yeah, you yes. know, and he was playing his age, and he was great. That movie was really good. That movie was really good. Mm -hmm. I partial to Raiders, but I mean, shoot, that's like, you know, uh, I love them all. I love all three. I didn't like the last one though. The last one was was goofy. Yeah. yeah. And what I will say in regards to those movies, it's like, look, Sean Connery in terms of actor has always been asso associated with those kinds of roles. And even though he played against type in that particular role, again, it's like he was still in an action movie in an actionish role. Mm -hmm. So putting him, it's like where entrapment failed to, and what I call, lovingly in crap, but because it's like putting him against a 20 year old, a 20 something year old Catherine Zeta Jones at the time was not exactly their wisest move because it did show his age 
against uh, against her in that uh, movie and the likelihood of their uh, of their hooking up was like okay um you know no chemistry whatsoever it was kind yeah, of that, that, that could have happened and 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 also because he was relying on her yes. to carry off the job and i you know I, I the whole time i'm watching the movie i'm thinking to myself no that's not my sean connery my sean connery would be saying no I do the job. Hey, uh, Arpo, your producer in the back, I think, needs your help. Uh, oh, uh, it's okay. She's just sleeping. I gave oh, I her the maybe, night off. I thought she maybe had one too many. No. <laughs> yeah. So one of the main things so that uh, that you were asking though about earlier of uh, bankability, it's like bankability mm -hmm. is also uh, gauged on in terms of the audience right now, it's like with hot and cold. It's like with certain actors, it's like that are hot one minute, not, not the next. And then they, yes, there is the ebb and flow with certain actors. There are ones that have stayed consistent. It's like in female actors, for example, Meryl Streep, any movie that she's in, it's like somebody will come, it's like the box office will be flooded to go and see her in terms of that. In terms of female actors, it's like apparently, it's like, Look at Viola Davis. She's had a long career with uh, with that. Yeah. They need to rename the uh, Best Actress Oscar to the uh, Meryl Streep <laughs> Award, pretty much. Because uh, yes, anything she's in, it seems like she's going to get nominated. Yeah. Well, because she puts a, a gold performance together uh, in everything that she does. It's like, you, uh, you know, I want to see her and Samuel L. Jackson in the same movie though together. I really do because I think that that would just be like a dynamite movie. I would like go and see that. Yeah, like a, a caper or something like that. Yeah. You know what, though? This is kudos to Meryl Streep because her career was never, even when she was a young woman, was never based on her looks. It was always on her talent. And she she told this story once that they wanted her to be in the King Kong movie that Jeff Bridges was mm -hmm. in. And uh, what was it? De Laurentiis or whatever. Yeah, I think Dino De Laurentiis, yeah. Yes, Dino De Laurentiis. He said, like, I think the son brought in the son brought her in to read for it. And then he said to his son in Italian, why are you bring this ugly duckling in here? And I guess she understood Italian. So she said back and, you know, she told him to, to fuck off or something like that. You know, like it was pretty cool, the story. I know I butchered the story, but, but you know, her career was never based on her looks. It was always based on her talent. So yes. she was able to age well and continue to continue work because of that. Whereas you had people like Sharon Stone, and some others, you know, who it was all about their sex appeal or whatever, like quotes. Uh, and of course, so when she got a certain age, it was, you know, when she did the beaver shot in uh, Basic Instinct 2, people turned away. So, you know, it was, you know, uh, you know, versus the first time, right? So, uh, you know, and you know, it's it's messed up how they do it in, in, the, in that industry, but Meryl Streep, you know, she's, you can book her for a great performance. Yeah. And that's what I'm talking about. It's in terms of you look at people in terms of long-term bankability. So when you are casting for a film and you're talking about the casting process of somebody bankable versus somebody being the person who is the person who would be right for the role, a lot of times what you're doing is you have to make the executive decision of do you go with the, uh, the fact that it's like this person is bankable at the moment 
and take that risk because if they are wrong in the role, it's like the audience will also not respond to it and drop the box office anyway back on that. Where if they are, uh, if you surround them with a bankable cast, more likely it is, it would be the choice of, okay, then we can more likely bet that it would be a greater success because the story would carry it through as well. Because a lot of people are paying attention to the story. What we have found is that it's like people in this day and age are starting to move back into the story cycle and away, and away from the um, needed to be flashy cycle. Mm-hmm. I think our, it's like we leave flashy to the tent poles and we leave a good story to the rest of the basically the independent film world you know uh let me ask let me ask this first to arpo and then i want i want Grayson to chime in yes uh, so you're doing a biopic by uh, arpo about a great singer, right about what a great singer you're doing a biopic about a great singer right a great a great vocalist do you what would you rather have a great actor who can't sing to play the part or a great singer who is eh, an actor to play the part? Always a great actor who can't sing because you know what? Anybody can lip sync. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. Yes. It's like eh, what I always say is the best person for the role. And if that person cannot sing, yeah, you can lip sync it. I have no problem with lip syncing. If they, if they're, yeah. what the singing is, what twenty percent of the movie, if that, mm-hmm. you know, the acting. Yeah, yeah the acting has to sound I cannot stand watching bad acting. It makes my, it makes my, my skin hurt. Seeing bad actors act, you know, even if it's an independent film or it's a movie of the week, you know, <laughs> or Lifetime or something, or a cheesy, you know, sci-fi. I, I mean. It would have to be so cheesy bad where it's kind of funny, but like I can't stand bad acting. Bad acting is is just so terrible, you know. And um, so I I I always side with the better actor. Because mm-hmm. really good actors can turn questionable material and yes. make it go like Samuel Jackson. Jackson, you know, I think we talked about this before. That good dude can turn turds into lemonade, you know. He's, that guy is just, you know, he he can take bad material and make it. He might not make the movie great, but he can he'll he'll be interesting in the bullshit, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. One of those guys. Now it's like also going then through that. It's like understanding all of that sort of thing. It's like an understanding like the man is very very super talented, and he's able to do all of this and be able to be there. It comes back to the. What are the things in terms of marketing that affects our box office? Because when you have somebody like a Samuel L. Jackson in the movie, and yet the movie doesn't make back its box office, it's like, then we have to look at, does the story sell? You know, a, person, a person like him is in a good space because he's, like, he's win-win. If the movie does well, it's another feather in his cap. If the movie doesn't do well, he's not that that actor. Like Will Smith, if a movie does bad, that's another, he did a bomb. Samuel Jackson, if he's in a movie that bombs, no one goes, it was because of him. No. 
it's a great position to be in. He could, you know, I mean, he never has to worry about, you know, I, I, he wants all of his movies to do well, but it's not like live life and death, like a Will Smith, a Tom Cruise, those people. It's like, you know, if you keep stringing a couple of bad ones together, then they ain't looking to give you 20 million no more. You know, they're not looking to give you nothing, you know. So. But another thing that you can also talk about when you're talking about them is also in terms of projects that they picked, mm -hmm. the storylines that they that they choose. It's like when when you are looking at also casting an actor, you have to look at it as we look at it from the side as a as a filmmaker. I look at it from the side of when I'm casting out to the movie, yeah. who is the right person for the part. In terms of that, it's like the actor also has to say, is it the right role to advance my career forward or to keep my career going? Right, right. And Let's look at Jeremy Renner. Mm -hmm. Yes, perfect the example. The Hurt Locker. The Hurt Locker. Magnificent. Arrival. Incredible. Incredible. Yes. The town. Yeah. The town. Yes. Just, just outstanding. The Born American Legacy. Uh-oh. American Hustle. It, yep. It's a, it, so great actor and was then put and then decided to do Jason Bourne. Yeah. So you have a, right, right, a right, great right. actor, Ooh. definitely a bankable actor, in a, a bankable franchise. Yep. And, and it... Thanks. And it felt like a lead balloon. But see, though, he, see, he, the problem is, like, it's like he, that he had the George Lazenby effect. You know, like, you know, you're replacing the, mo the popular, like, Matt Damon is Jason Bourne, even though he didn't technically, he wasn't Jason Bourne. A lot of people think that he was Jason Bourne. Richard Chamberlain was. No, no, no. I'm saying, okay, you're going way back. But I'm talking about for the Born Identity movies. Yeah. A lot of people who may not even really seen the movie or seen it, don't remember it, they believe that he replaced Matt Damon and he was Jason Bourne and he was a whole other character, you know, uh, in, in, in his movie. I forgot. What did you just say the movie was called? Legacy? Uh, the Born Legacy. Right. So, but he was still considered the replacement, right, for Matt Damon, mm -hmm. who is Jason Bourne. I mean, yes. You know, that's so synonymous. That's like his, that's his, you know, character. Like how you think of Ethan Hawke, or what's not Ethan Hawke, Ethan uh, Hunt as uh, Tom Cruise, or you think of, you know, whoever. You want Axel Foley as, uh, as Eddie Murphy or whatever. Yeah. You think of, when you think of the Born Identity, you think of, well, you might think of Richard Chamberlain, but uh, I think most of the world thinks of Matt Damon. So he was almost doomed to fit. Like the movie had to be so good for it to be, you know, a hit. And it was not, it didn't, the movie was boring. It was slow. It was, it, you know, it stupid, you know, and those movies are, aren't those movies. You got to be in a mood to really get into the born movies. Like you can't watch the born movies like at 12 o'clock at night. Well, actually, actually, you know what? They follow also the style of the books. It's like for those of us who've actually read the book series, it's like Born Identity. Very, it's like the minute that you get up to there, and as soon as the original author died and uh, the second author took over under the Born series, 
the style of it changed and the pacing of it changed as well to being more like the movie that you saw with Jeremy Renner and and fortunately this last Bourne movie that uh, that Matt Damon did saved out the series but still it's like book wise it was like okay your original author has passed away this new author who at first tried to pick the same style and everything because they cannot catch that same style and the the series is detrimentally bad in that sense and it's and this is why it's like they pretty much have said there's not going to be another born movie after this really i i couldn't get through that last one yeah well and you know what it's uh, truth is is that you cannot blame matt damon you cannot blame the uh, the directing you cannot you it, you really at this point in time have to blame the story because the gentleman who took over the writing of the series he's wonderful is in his own right with his own series it's just he could not capture Jason Bourne and everything that went on about him yes and in terms of your uh, com comparison of Jeremy Renner as Jason Bourne and George Lazenby as James Bond. George Lazenby as James Bond, the box office was triple the budget. Mm -hmm. Jeremy Renner as Jason Bourne, the box office, the U, and I'm just talking the U.S. box office, did not cover the the cost of the film. No, that movie. So. Was they, you know, a lot of people don't know that George Lazenby wasn't fired. Most people think he was replaced. No, the, he actually quit. Yeah, yeah, he quit. He didn't. He didn't want to get pigeonholed. And but mo but a lot of people didn't. People didn't really like that movie until later. Like later, people found that movie. It was like you know what? That wasn't that bad. Uh, even though it's silly as hell if you watch it now. People later, because that soundtrack is amazing. By the way, for that movie, it's one of the best ones. Uh, uh, it, it's also one of the one of the best uh, one of the best scripts and stories. Of any Bond movie, mm -hmm. and also and one, of, one of the last to actually follow the events of one of the Bond books. I know, right? That's funny. And then also, it added another layer because the you know the fact that he falls in love and gets married and all of that, which way different than uh, you have seen really before and um, much really after. So, uh, but um, so I wasn't you know what I was saying by that was a lot of people will say they didn't like George Lake. He's usually ranked like him and Timothy Dalton was ranked like the the worst of the James Bonds. Mm -hmm. uh, even though I loved Timothy Dalton. I think Timothy Dalton's underrated, but that's a whole other story. Uh, I, I'm a big Timothy Dalton fan and his, I loved his movie. Well, I've loved other movies that he's been in, but it's like, no, he wasn't the best Bond. But however, that being said, it's like nobody can beat Sean Connery. I thought he was great. I thought I thought he basically he opened the door for Daniel Craig because basically Daniel Craig is doing Timothy Dalton. Oh, uh, I utterly disagree with that. Utterly disagree with Timothy that. Timothy Dalton was the hard James Bond who was more Daniel Craig is doing the same thing. Except for he's I probably more physical, more probably fighting him more or whatever. But Timothy Dalton was more of a serious James Bond than uh, than um, the other James Bond. 
He didn't have well, that. After Roger, after Roger Dalton, uh, Bozo the Clown, or Roger Moore, I should say. After Roger Moore, and it was this, I'm not blaming Roger Moore for this. I'm blaming the writers. But after the Roger Moore series of Bond films, Bozo the Clown would have looked more serious as James Bond. Well, yeah, when you got a 90-year-old guy who flinches when he shoots, mm -hmm. you know, you know, rest in peace, Roger Moore, but, you know, he wasn't the best James Bond. Uh, you know, even though there's some, he played him the longest, I believe. But because of him, they said, we'll never let a James Bond get that old. Never. Yeah, and don't and don't forget that there was also in between uh, Roger Dal uh, between Timothy Dalton, there was also Pierce Brosnan. You know what? Pierce Brosnan, I thought was a great Bond. He was his, an amazing Bond. His, but his after Goldeneye, the rest of his movies sucked. His movies were incredibly bad. I didn't like none of them after Goldeneye. See, where I was actually a fan of that, where it's like these last two Bond movies with Daniel Craig have been very disappointing. Skyfall, he wrote, he basically dialed in the performance. He may, he may, it's like you may as well have had just a cutout of him standing there and have dialogue standing in the background for as much action as that he felt in terms of emotion. You know what's funny though? Those two movies look the, the, the beautifulest looking James Bond movies ever were those two movies. Yeah, you're right. Daniel Craig was kind of you're right. He, he nailed it in. He really clearly didn't want to do it after Quantum. What made yeah? What what made Skyfall a success was that it was they made it a very good personal story. Right. Yeah. With killing M at the end. Yeah. That's what, for me. That's what saved that movie. It was the only nothing, thing that saved that movie. And how do yeah, you? Nothing. Nothing could save Spectre. No. There was Harvey, no saving that movie. Javier Bardem was really great, and 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 um, you know they had a great villain for uh, Spectre. I liked where they were going with Spectre, but it just was poorly executed. Like I love that they're including Spectre, right? I thought that was great, right? Mm -hmm. But it, it just was lacking, you know. Yeah. Mendez is a great director. You know, and the movies look great. But one of the things, like I said, bringing back in towards uh, what this has been going on with is the fact that it's like, look, you can have the ideal cast. You can have the ideal sets. You can have the ideal uh, everything put together. The director who is the most amazing uh, person since Stanley Kubrick <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, it's like he could, they could be the next Stanley Kubrick for all. Uh, intensive purposes, it does not necessarily mean that the film is going to be banking because without having its target market covered, without having its storyline be a solid storyline, audiences will tend to shy away. Or if there's controversy that goes around the film, it's like it can either work for you or against you. Um, the fact that I'll give a good example of something worked for them. Um, the fact that Mel Gibson's back in in doing movies with Hacksaw's with Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah. Um, he it, it's like he is an example of somebody who it's like by all intents and purposes that they would have said his career was done. 
but not really because it's like he did Hacksaw Ridge. And I've always thought he was a better director than an actor anyway. Yeah, and what has happened now is that he has turned around and said, okay, yes, I did these mistakes. And it's like all of his controversy of all of his mistakes have been put behind him that people decided that they were going to go see Hacksaw Ridge. Had this been uh, had this been during the time of his controversy, I don't believe that Hacksaw Ridge would have made any box office. And it, it would not have been a nomination. How is it a mistake when you're stating how you feel? <laughs> you know, like, it wasn't a mistake. Uh, anti yeah, anti-Semitic comments are not exactly... How do you survive being labeled an anti-Semitic person in Hollywood? That's amazing. Uh, you, you do your mea culpas yes. and say that, and say that you were and say you were a drug and alcohol uh, addicted person, and now you've decided to to renege that uh, the, your comments. That's like the ultimate sin in Hollywood. So, like, how did he? Make yeah. That? So that's pretty. But then again, he by by being honest about it and being truly penitent, did he win? Yes, I missed that one. Did he do it like on some TV show or something? Yep. Yeah, I mean, he 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 publicly apologized and said that he you know was wrong. It was unjust. It was bigoted. That he did. He was so you know overwhelmed with drinking and and not not really you know drug drugs, but just. You know, the combination of booze and drugs just overcame him. And you know how sometimes you just can't censor yourself? He didn't, he couldn't censor himself. And all these things came spilling out. And half of it he didn't mean. He was just on a rant. Right. It was word and, vomit. It was yeah. word, word vomit that fell off with actual vomit afterwards, is what yeah. he's basically saying. And unfortunately, it was word vomit in front of about a hundred paparazzi. So drinking makes you anti-Semitic um, and racist. Don't forget that his father was. So, you know, you could be pulling that from the inner archives. Yeah. Okay. You got to remember how, you know. the And, the, and this uh, is not to forgive him. Or okay. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people who will not forgive him. And. Truthfully, I don't know whether you should or shouldn't forgive him because it's like, you know what they say, in wine there is truth. And, uh, you know, maybe that might be his exact feelings. And yes, feelings. He, said what he, he said what he exactly meant. Like, that's what so kills me about him. He's like, uh, you know, because of course he meant it. He said it. <laughs> yeah. yes. he, only, he only apologized when he knew it was going to affect him. Okay, Kente. Have you never said anything to somebody when you have been half wasted out of your mind? And that, that, that I didn't mean. Yes. No. If I said, okay, have you said something that you meant that you were sorry about saying later? Of course, but I meant it. Okay. Yeah, but you you were sorry that you said it after you realized what you said. Yeah, I, I remember I called. Uh, I called a, a woman a, a bitch, mm -hmm. and, and I felt bad because although I thought she was a bitch, I probably shouldn't have told her to her face she was a bitch. 
I, I probably shouldn't because uh, I was uh, working for this. But it felt good. So uh, <laughs> telling her that. So, so you know, um, you know, maybe I shouldn't have because then I would have kept that job. But you know, it is what it is. But uh, but my thing, it's just funny to me how when someone says, you know, I was on drink, I was drinking, I was this. And it's like, oh, well, he didn't mean it. He was just, you know, he was just drinking. Okay, but understand also one thing, that it, there's a whole bunch of publicists that go around this. He may have meant, and you know what? He meant every word of it, as far as I am concerned. You don't rant out like that because you don't, it doesn't come from some place deep inside of you that it's true, of what you're believing, it, like what you are believing is true in your own head at that very moment. However, there's a lovely team of these things called publicists who turn around and tell you how to get out of that situation to make it seem palatable to the rest of the audience and to people that it's like perhaps you are penitent well, you know, about with, what you said. You know, with the, the Jewish thing was because of the passion of the Christ, because a lot of Jewish people were upset with him when he made that movie, and he felt like they were. So a lot of that anger came from that experience with the passion of the Christ and a lot of the blowback from that. So that rant was kind of an extension of of the blowback that he got from Passion of the Christ, that whole crap situation. So, um, so I'm sure that's where a lot of it came. You know, uh, you know uh, that whole thing. But you know, I, I got to give it to him though that he uh, that he was able to get beyond that. And you know, they're talking about making him the director of the Suicide Squad. Oh God, no. Yeah. No, 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 no. He's a great director. He's outstanding. I don't think he's made a bad movie. Has he ever made a bad movie? Yeah, quite a few of them. What? I'm talking about as a director. Man. Oh, okay. As a director, it's like The Passion of the Christ. Passion of the Christ? Was... Horrible I... movie. How's that a horrible Ap movie? Apocalypto. Apocalypto. That was a bad movie, Apocalypto. Yes, yes. Apocalypto. How was that bad? It was pretty spot on. And the Passion of the Christ. I mean, you, you know, you can't. Can you really mess up a, a movie? We follow the Bible. It depends on what Bible you're following. Sure. <laughs> what Bible? The Satanic uh, <laughs> Bible. <laughs> but the, the but the whole point being that what we are talking about is in this particular case that he has had a redemption in his career and a revival of it. And now, was the box office affected by it, by Hacksaw Ridge? It, because he did his mea culpa, it's like it wound up being acceptable to the audience that they, that they allowed this film to be able to shine for the value that it was, despite him. When you're looking at it from the, is it, is it sellable? When we are looking at it from this in terms of a point of movie, it, the first thing you must look at is, is the story sellable? Mm -hmm. Then you have to look at, is are the actors able to sell the movie that you choose, your cast? Then it's the, is the, is the trifecta combination a good enough combination to get over uh, the, uh, the hump of the 50 other movies that are inundating at the same time. Because a lot of times, a reason why a movie doesn't sell, quote unquote, or make its money, is because 
the, it's like bad timing at the box office. They are being put up against a tentpole movie, for example. And for example, uh, um, I will say that also another reason why the box office hasn't worked for the Goldie Hawn movie is that they have been put up against um, Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy of the 2. Galaxy 2, they, they're up against uh, Alien Covenant. Yep. Up against Pirates of the Caribbean, Caribbean and Wonder five. Woman. Yeah. So you're, you're talking about major tent poles that have come up against, and even they're fighting one another. This can also affect your box office dollars in terms of what's considered to be sellable. So again, one of the things that you want to do is when you're positioning, when it, you're looking at the distributor as positioning a movie, you have to look at what's coming out at the same time. But the, unfortunately, there are just certain movies that are just going to come out in bad time. And the way to fight it is to fight through the through it and go to the international box office first. Be the first in the gate at the international gate if your domestic isn't doing well and get it to DVD really fast and your ancillary markets. Yeah. Because it's quite interesting, I found this the other day, that it literally is six weeks ago that Beauty and the Beast was in the theaters is now coming to DVD six weeks later. It's crazy. Did an amazing box office turnaround, but because it didn't want to fight against Guardians of the Galaxy, all of these other markets, they flipped it around really quick into the DVD market. And they're going to make a boatload of money. Yes. They're going to do a boatload killing in in that because of the ancillary markets that they've now put it into. Yeah. Which is very clever in terms of a marketing uh, plan. Which is, again, talking about your target market. Your target market is no longer in that zone because the person who would be seeing Beauty and the Beast is, now, uh, is no longer going to be seeing that when Guardians of the Galaxy 2 has come out or, you know, uh, during that time. And notice that they also archivally positioned it after things like Logan were already falling down in box office. Mm -hmm. So that's some clever yeah. planning of where that zone came in. So when you're looking at it, of, is it sellable? You have to look at it also where the timing is. For example, um, if a movie that is a very story-driven movie is coming out during the time a lot of tentpole movies are coming out, unfortunately, you're going to get buried amongst the tentpoles. Yeah. You you will. It's like unless it is an absolutely and I'll use your word bankable uh, type movie. It's not going to go up against a tentpole movie. In terms I'll, of tell you, uh, I'll tell you what, you know, we're, since we're talking about uh, marketing, yes. Beauty and the Beast had incredible marketing. Yes. E even before there were any real major preview trailers of it, thing in the theaters for turning off your phones that yeah. used scenes from Beauty and the Beast. So mm -hmm. for six months, we're seeing this. And we're seeing it at go-to. Mm -hmm. 
regardless of the studio. I mean, you can't you can't get better market than that. Yeah. And in terms of, and in terms of the box office, this is another thing where you have to look at it. Is it is it sellable by it does it have the correct timing to be able to be sellable in the market? Which is a very valid point. It's like you can have the trifecta cast, but if you're being put up against other things that are hugely popular, and again, even during Academy Award winning season, what do you think that they don't put tentpoles in Academy Award winning seasons? Because they're not going to win an award anyway, so what's the point? A lot of them are visual effects driven. They're yeah. meant to be at large box office. They're not meant to be brought out forth for their brilliance of performance, so to speak. They're, yeah. br they're brought forth for their action and the visual effects. Mm -hmm. And visual effects are memorable enough that, you know, a movie that came out in April, if it's got yeah. spectacular special effects, it's still going to be remembered at Oscar nomination time. Exactly. But it won't be remembered for its performances from its actors. Nope. Cuz if you if you notice what is nominated in Academy Awards for actor performances, it is usually the the independent film that is being nominated for exactly that reason. Because archivally, this is the way that it works. If it is a box office success, it is a success based on the dollars. If it is if it is if it is a failure, it is based a lot upon the timing. Sometimes it is based upon the performance of the actors, and I'm not saying that sometimes it isn't. It was the wrong casting for that particular venue. Sometimes it's the perfect casting, perfect uh, plot, just not uh, what the audience wants to see at that moment. And a lot of times it's because it's been put in a vat, in a really rock and hard place spot, which really needs to have a turnaround. Yeah. Now, on uh, next week's episode of Movie Time, just as an announcement, we're going to let you know that we are going to be having John Reese as our guest on Wednesday. And we, uh, and we may have a lovely surprise guest coming up on Friday. We are not going to announce them quite, quite yet. But we are going to have an uh, a potential interesting guest on Friday. It's a secret. It is a secret. So, Kente, how do they get you in social media? They get me uh, at Kente F on Twitter. They can go to our website, IndyRadio.org. That's I-N-D-Y Radio.org. Excellent. And, Arpo, how do they get you in social media? Well, they can get me on Facebook if they want to be sociable. If they don't want to be sociable and want to discuss business, they can always find me on LinkedIn. I've been known to haunt the forums of the movies underground. And, hey, I like talking and chatting with friends. So, you know, hook up with me on Skype. But make sure you let me know that you're a fan of movie time because I get way, way too many proposals from Armenian women who want to marry me. And you can get me in on LinkedIn, Visipedia. Uh, you also uh, can get me on Facebook, on Twitter, at Movie Time Indie, at Sonata Grayson. Also on the website, www.pastlivesproductionsinc.net, which, by the way, has now a donate button 
on that for all of those people who were looking at the uh, in terms of the projects as well as we also have campaigns on DSCN as well as slated um, also we uh, we want to thank uh, because we did get a polite uh, thing from the white chocolate peanut butter company but unfortunately peanut butter and co uh, cannot join us uh, on our, our podcast but we uh, we still love your product anyways people and hope that you sell millions of jars of peanut butter and then sponsor our show and then sponsor our show. Yes, we're, we're, we'll come back to you as soon as you sell a million jars of peanut butter. Uh, and Kente, you really have to try this white chocolate peanut butter. It is the bomb. Oh wow! Okay. It is sounds good. White chocolate peanut butter. Oh god, yeah. And, and they got that in peanut butter and honey. Oh my god! It's like they are the bomb. And try it with ice cream. You will love it. Oh wow. Yes, white chocolate peanut butter. It's at Walmart. It's called Peanut Butter and Co. And it's white chocolate peanut butter. You will totally love it. And I, I saw on their website they have a new one coming out, a spicy peanut butter. Ooh, nice. And then they also have the dark chocolate peanut butter, too. So it's called Peanut Butter and Co. And you totally want to uh, uh, grab at it. And since they're not sponsoring, since they're not sponsoring us, I, you know, we're not going to give out their website address. All I nope. will say is, if you're the kind of person who says, you shouldn't have too much trouble finding them. Exactly. And also, like I said, we are having John Reese on Wednesday. And so, Kinty, when is the spotlight returning? Uh, next Friday. Actually, we're moving to 7 o'clock. So we're gonna. It's gonna be Infectious Geek at five, uh, Pacific All Times Pacific Standard Time, Movie Time at six, and a spotlight at six. Perfect. So uh, we're gonna have a a three peat night. Yes. It's gonna be a triple bypass for anybody who is like it, because we're also sweet. Yeah. Hardcore entertainment, back to back to back. Indeed. And we want to thank you all for uh, listening, and we'll see you all next week. I know I will. <laughs>